0: And I'm Chris Dring. and you're listening to the
1: MCV and Develop podcast. Uh, we are joined here today by two incredibly amazing guests. We have uh, Ed Fear. Uh, Ed Fear is a Develop Award nominated writer mm-hmm. uh, whose credits include, he's going to tell me if I'm wrong, Heaven's Strike Rivals and Hatterfall Boyfriend. Uh, yes. Yeah, right. I guess. He also used to be deputy editor for Develop magazine and had, had to spend most days staring at our faces. I did uh, He did, that's true <laughs> Ariana Pratchett is our second guest um, uh, Doesn't really need much of an introduction <laughs> She is a multi-award winning writer <laughs> Behind *Heavily Sword, Overlord, Mirror's Edge And the superb Tomb Raider reboots uh, Like Ariana, also used to be a games journalist So there's hopeful for us yet Yes, absolutely um, um, Welcome we're, Thank we're, you for having us. We're looking at our future here. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're, <laughs>
0: look, look that way.
1: look
2: That way towards the
1: uh, Guys, your talk today, with are develop conference by the way, um, it was uh, fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank uh, you. I've already told you this, but Thank it, it was it was really insane, quite inspiring actually. Um, the bit I actually quite like the most, when you talk about humour in games, there aren't a lot there aren't many games that have that much that much humour really. Um, what, what is it? Why do you think that is? Why do you think people
3: don't go for it? I think it's it's hard to pull off, um, and you know just just on a basic level. But also, you're not in control of the things that you're usually in control of when you're writing, say, you know, a, a sketch for a TV show, or, or you know, if you're a stand-up comedian, you're you're kind of in control of timing. Um, and you know context a lot more than you are in in the game where obviously your your main actor is is the player and so you can't you, you don't have all the all the um, yeah control of everything at the same time to to kind of hit a joke so you're really sort of um, relying on you know it can come down to script it can come down to vo but but with something like Overlord. We built humour into the, the animation, into the the level design, um, even kind of into the, the music. So it wasn't just a case of here's a game and there's a funny script on top. It was all about um, you know, building the humour into the game and building it sort of from the ground up. And I think that's why it worked. Um, but it, you know you've got you know the great days of of uh, the LucasArts games, which has sort of been coming back through what um, Double Fine have been doing as well. Um, and yeah, you know, that's that's great to see. But yeah, you know, I think dark and gritty, serious, mature. They're they're used a lot in, especially in AAA at the moment. There's not always that much room for humour sometimes, and, and I know sometimes developers don't always want humour. Like they, they, they want you to be very sort of serious. Yeah, I think um,
2: I think there's also the fact that humour can be quite. Um, It can be quite polarising in the fact that obviously people have different tastes and so, you know, what I find funny is not what my mum finds funny and I quite often find that I try to show her stuff and she's (laughs) stony-faced and then she... We'll be watching something like Michael McIntyre or whatever, and she is in fits of laughter. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And it's like I don't—I'm not one of those people that subscribes to like denigrating any sort of levels of comedy or whatever. But the fact is that gamers are quite like are are an increasingly diverse bunch, and so when you when you choose to do comedy, you kind of also choose where you're going to pitch that, and that can be quite a difficult. You know, that can be quite a difficult line to tread. And, and I would certainly also echo what Rihanna said about you're not in so much control about... Like It's really... The thing I found um, is that, you know, MediaTonic has a... Kind of part of our mission statement is to make games that are a bit weird or a bit kooky or a bit funny. Like, like that's kind of the edge we want to put on things. Um, which obviously is perfectly uh, encapsulated in Her total Boyfriend, which... Uh, which I didn't write, but I did do a little bit of translation on. But that, that's kind of a perfect example. But I, I certainly... We, when we try to bring that to whatever we're doing, whether it's a free-to-play game or whatever, you certainly sometimes find that things like... Things like that you don't really think are going to be an issue, like timing, are massive. Like, co- comedy is so much of that is timing. And when you're... Like, I do games where a lot of the, the cutscenes are kind of talking head portrait, kind of cheap stuff... And even just trying to get like the ability to put pauses in between lines so that a line can land um, is quite like that. You, it's like it's an extra layer of effort. And I would say like sometimes we would have people go in and put the cutscenes, and then I would go over them and just do timings just to try and make things feel a little bit more like the jokes are landing properly. The jokes have a bit of breathing space. It's not immediately onto the next line, and you know that kind of stuff. So there are. You know, and also I think when you're working with, um, in in like TV and film, you're working with comedic actors who, who can take what you do to another level. Like they have their own, mm-hmm. you know, co- like comedic acting is a, is like its own craft, and they, they can put their own thing in that. And, and certainly in in the realm I work in, where it's text based, you don't, you don't have that. It's it can be quite difficult to try and put that in.
1: Uh- Lego games, I, I actually think, you, as you we were talking, Portal 2 came into my mind Obviously there's a comedic actor who does the voice of Weekly, and that has, uh, brings that across, is not it, in that game um, And uh, I was actually playing, Well, there wasn't script based at all, I played Sea of Thieves at E3, the rare game And um, I laughed my head off in that game, but not because there was, any, there was no script in at all um, They gave, the, the designers gave us a load of tools, like one of the, loads of things that did nothing One was a uh, he played a musical instrument, has no effect on anything, you just played a musical instrument The other thing is you got drunk actually made the game harder, um, and you could you choose to do that. And when our ship was sinking, we all just stood on the on the bow of the ship, playing all our musical instruments <laughs> the ship, now, <laughs> laughing our heads off. Like uh, a horrific version of a Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, not a horrific version, quite a comic yeah. version of Titanic. So I guess what you were saying about you know it's difficult to sort of work that into the into the game. Um, do you think developers could benefit from tapping into, or at least looking at talent from um,
0: other industries? Because yeah, you know, the, the game that comes to mind in terms of comedy games, in terms of ones that have actually made me laugh out loud, South The Stick of Truth. Yeah, yeah. But that's because it's done by established comedy talent who are just—it's essentially they're just transferring the same humour, the same um, formula directly to games. And for some reason, yeah, you know, that that tended to work. I mean, like, is that an exception rather than a rule, or is that the, the start of something that we can see come across?
3: I think it might be an exception. I think it depends on who you're using, what their experience of games are and and how well, you know, it it becomes integrated. It seems it's a lot about integration as well as talent. Um, And I know that they use sort of seasoned designers working with with the guys on that uh, and sort of bringing it all together. I don't think it's necessarily a case of getting more um, talent in from other industries. I think it's actually about embracing the the idea of, of you know having humour in games and no, I don't I don't know why there isn't more of it I guess so I think it's because we're we're still in that dark and gritty phase where everything is a lot of dark and gritty and I do think there's room for humour in dark and gritty situations however developers I've worked with in the past haven't always seen that but I you know I'm a big fan of things like you know, Buffy and Angel, which always used humour in in dark situations. Um, I think it's down to developers actually actively embracing it. Um, uh, the you know themselves, you know. I think the writers we have are, are more than capable of doing it. I think it's about developers being open to it as you know as well, just putting humour in their games. I mean, they a lot a lot of it as as you were saying doesn't just come through the script. You know, uh, my my other half plays a lot of Dead Rising, and that's got a lot of humour. That's just in the kind of animation, and the clothes, and the scenarios that you, you get yourself into. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I it, it, Overlord is still kind of a rarity. And, and we used um, Mark Silk, who is a very talented um, voice actor and, and um, works on a lot of animations, and that worked very well uh, for that game. And he, you know, he sort of created the the character of Noel, um, and we worked very closely with him, Noel being the minion master, and he did a lot of, um, you know, voices in the game, and he has, a you know, inhe- you know, great comedic timing. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a combination of everything, I think. Talent from other other mediums can work as long as they understand games, um, or they can, you know, people can be there to help, underst- you know, help them understand how their work will be, used in the game, and because writing writing for games is very different from writing for everything else and it's not easily transferable, you know, if they're gamers I think that really helps. Uh, but it's about developers being open to, to that and yeah, I think it's, it's a kind of combination of things. And, and working with, with actors as well to, to develop um, characters and comedy, tone and timing and things like that, This all helps.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think, I think what, what Rhianna says is totally right and that there has to be the intent to do it in the first place. Um, and I think too much these days people just want... They either want to play it serious or they want to play it straight. Like even if you look at a lot of the thing, a lot of the games that aren't even necessarily serious, like a lot of social games and things like that, they still play it incredibly straight as if it's like... You know, it's just like you're running a... A you're, you're game where you're running a restaurant or something and they'll just... Play it straight, and I think one of the one of the great things I loved about the Kim Kardashian game, um, oh and, 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 and this does not get enough credit, absolutely, <laughs> is that it like it had been written by somebody who knew how ridiculous the whole thing was, and was letting you play it, but also highlighting how kind of not not pointing it out in a, in a negative way because obviously it had Kim Kardashian on it, but kind of it very much it very much embraced the fact that the blogosphere is kind of ridiculous and the celebrity that the gossip journalists are kind of ridiculous and it really bought into that world. And I think, you know, I can't say that's why it was successful, but I, I would hope that that is one of the reasons why it resonated with people who do like the Kardashians because they saw the real world reflected in that. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, that's really important. And I, it's, it's, it's it is very difficult to not, um, to not play it straight and, and to, 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 to get somebody to agree to kind of doing mm-hmm. a slightly comedic take on things, but um, I think when you do it right, it can it can be like really effective, and it doesn't it doesn't even have to be like I say with the King of the thing, something that is typically comedy. You can get comedy into other things, and. Um, I'm going to go slightly off topic here but I'm going to bring up something that kind of that Rihanna and I talked about earlier which is the drag queen Sharon Needles and she has, she
1: has I wondered a, how long it would take right, exactly, right, exactly
2: but she has an incredible saying 12 minutes which years. is the um, 12 minutes there you go uh, that, that she's, there's, there's one saying that really struck with me that she said and that was that drag is like a fun house mirror on society and that it reflects society but in a distorted way it makes kind of fun of it but not in a way that something like maybe Banksy does where they're kind of you know, almost like having a go at you for, for being how you are. It's kind of like this is how silly the real world is, and let's enjoy the fact that the real world is silly. And from a personal point of view, I came to the conclusion a while ago that that's what I want the games that I work on to do. I want the games that I work on to reflect real life, but in a way that celebrates it while also poking fun at it. And I think there are not enough games that do that, and that's something, from speaking personally, that I would really like
1: games to do more to do more of. Well, you've both said this earlier Talk about pacing and comedy Is obviously quite important And timing is quite important And you, you have no control over timing in games mm. And I taught Actually Rise of the Tomb Raider One of my favourite games last year I am um, not going to ruin it Because there'll be Playstation 4 listeners. I haven't played it yet Yeah you can't Well I'm not going to ruin it But basically you all, As you would expect Towards the end of the game Things escalate And things get quite exciting no. right, And dramatic As you would expect in a story Except I got into a, I went back through an area I hadn't got all the weapon caches So during the really exciting point in the story, I stopped for four hours to find weapon (laughs) caches in the game, thus ruining the pain, it didn't ruin the story, I was really excited, but but in a way that, you can't really, uh, does the loss of control in games, does that something that you kind of have to give up in a way as writers, is that something you can deal with? Yeah, I mean you have to
3: give up a lot of control Writing in games anyway, so I think you kind of get used to that from the off I think you have to give up a lot of job writing for the, the big AAA games and And you give up a certain amount of control I, I think when you're, you're moving down to Indie you can get more control especially if it's your company um, Or it's a very small team the bigger the team the more you know cogs in, in the in the big machine um, so it's, it is harder to get your voice across I think it's not impossible but it, it is harder and you kind of kind of live around th- the edges and you know your, your kind of favorite lines or the little battles one and all that little performance that got through and, and you sort of kind of live in, in little moments rather than um, necessarily a big uh, you know 12-hour extravaganza of your own voice out there uh, so yeah, I think it's it's challenging from that point. I mean, you can still do great things in the AAA space, and that's not to malign it in any way. You get the you get access to you know, the best actors, the best talent, the the, the best um, technology, um, and you other things that triple A doing with performance capture, um, and you know, utilising sort of top tier talent has been has been kind of really exciting.
2: Yeah, I'd say in kind of in the sphere where I work, which is kind of more mobile, more free to play, you have to be very aware of the fact that an awful lot of your audience doesn't really want story as much as I want them to want story. I also have to be okay with the fact that there are a lot of people that, that don't want that, and and you kind of have to come to terms with that, and you have to um, you have to be aware of that when you're writing. You know, it is a constant. I'm in a constant battle. Over the length of things, and trying to make things shorter, and then also fighting that we're also losing too much color. You know, because the, the the as a when you write games, you you come to understand that there is the important stuff, which is the stuff the player must absolutely know um, in order to be able to play the game. But then there's also the, the color, the flavour of the interpersonal relationships and and things like that, and that's the that's kind of the battle that I certainly <laughs> I face is getting that stuff and I'm sure it's, it's also to a degree true in AAA as well um, but um, yeah I have to be very you have to be very aware of the fact that the people the people have different tastes and, and different things and you what you want to do is you want to what I try and do is try and do the best I can for the people that want story without imposing upon the people that don't so it's trying to please everyone at the same time which is basically impossible but it's about trying to strike a trying to strike a balance between doing that and so certainly as i've taken on more of a design role i've been i've been kind of trying to come up with ways of um not not like you know taking taking the exposition and taking the what taking the taking the colorful stuff and making that Um, synchronous with the gameplay so that it's not interrupting the gameplay and you can do that, you know, everyone knows um, things like, like Rihanna mentioned earlier with Bioshock in the talk earlier is a, you know, absolutely textbook example of environmental storytelling it's a little bit harder when you're working on a game with like a much what barely environment (laughs) to be honest (laughs) with you, Um, you kind of get what you do, but like, uh, one of the things I try and do is try and work out how can I divide up what is Absolutely necessary. What is flavour, and how can I layer that in a way that is um, as unintrusive to people who don't want it as possible, but while also giving the people who do want it kind of what they want.
0: At the risk of re-emphasising Chris's point, like, it must be difficult as writers to and drive players in a, a larger open world game, um, or, or at least a game that gives players a bit more freedom. I think so. Things like Call of Duty. Hey, the world's gonna, you know the world's gonna end because the, you know country X are going to blow it up it's easy to maintain pace because you've got breakneck missions where there's just no stopping Mass Effect 3 where the universe is going to end but you do still have time to go shopping on the Citadel <laughs> or, uh, or my, the recent example for me was um, Fallout 4 your child has been stolen go find your child but if you want to just go around and you know build a village by all means do so it must be really difficult to, to build tension and and compel players to, to progress when they've got so many distractions? I mean, how do you even balance that?
3: Well, I mean, I have seen an example where I thought, and it was in Deus Ex, where I thought I had time. So i given a mission, and, I, and it wasn't uh, apparent to me that it was timed. It's one of the early missions in the game, and I, I, I was still pottering around, checking out... Um, Kind of rooms and offices and stuff, and when I got to it, I found that like the hostages have been killed because I, I dicked around just kind of looking at plants.
0: Worst hero ever. And,
3: like I had to go back and redo it because I felt really guilty. So I think it's actually putting those sort of consequences in. So once I knew that there was a a time, a time constraint in it, even though they they didn't. It was good because they didn't sort of put a timer on you. They, it, you just thought, well, of course, yeah, they're being held hostage. There's going to be a time constraint, and actually treating it like a real scenario, but not making it gaming. There's a countdown clock. Yeah. Um, that, that, that made it more tense. It made it more tense because I knew they could possibly die if I didn't get there quick enough. So there was my own tension that had been ramped up by me doing poorly earlier. So I think it's. Um, a lot to do with the kind of gameplay and how much information you give to the player, but yeah, it is it, storytelling in open world games is, is very hard, um, and I think it's sort of best done when the world is given a lot of personality. I think uh, World of Warcraft, for example, um, you know, that's it's got little little bits and pieces of storytelling, but really it's the sort of personality of the world and the the colour and the 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 kind of little bits of craziness of the characters that I think um, is really what attracted players to it and you know certainly when i first started playing it just felt so bright and so colorful and it had such a sense of humor um, to the world that you don't always get in a lot of fantasy stuff and i think that that helped i couldn't really tell you that much about the big story of <laughs> world of warcraft but yeah the little stories of the sort of the the details um, the level design, the the character design, um, that's sort of where you, you kind of bring it through. But it's really the kind of mechanics and attention the level design. Sorry, the mechanics, the level design that can bring the tension. It's you can't do it on your own as a writer. You have to have everyone involved. But at some point, yeah, you've got to factor in the player and how the player plays and how mm. that's going to interfere with you telling the story, and, and it will, um, mm. but that's that's writing for games, you just
0: have to I, I find, a way find around it. I always find MMOs are particularly difficult to follow the story, I've, only, I've, I've dabbled in a few, and like Lord of the Rings Online, I actually, I remember actually playing that and, and following the question thinking right, I am absolutely following what's going on here, I completely understand my role in this story. And yet, by the time you get to you have so many threads happening because yeah. you've got so many, and you end up with a kind of a shopping list of quests <laughs> that you're yeah. you're in the middle of. It's like yeah. I literally have lost all context of this. Now it is it is just a case of kill X amount of rats. They tried it better with um, Star Wars: The Old Republic, and I tried that, and at least you get cutscenes there to kind of re-emphasize what's what's happening and to kind of drive the story home. But it, it, again, I wasn't even out at the st- starting area where I'd forgotten why I was killing all these droids. Right. And I, yeah. I mean, I, the yeah. context for me is like, it's, it's a massive part of driving story in games, otherwise it just becomes mindless gameplay. Um, and it's just, it, it must be really difficult to do in a large online game. I think there's always a level of suspension
2: of disbelief that you know that there will be, because you know... You know that the player is playing a game; they aren't actually mm. doing this thing. And judging that level is really hard. That was the thing that surprised me the most when I got into games was was where do you draw that line? Where do you say this is as it is because this gamey, and where do you say this is as it is because it makes sense, like narratively? And, I've, and I and certainly on on Heaven's Strike, I fretted about an awful lot of stuff. Where when I would speak to other people about it, they would just go. Why is that? Like, even if they're just like the players won't even notice that. And, and that, that, you know, to a degree, that is true. Like, very, you know, some occasionally players do catch me out with questions where I have to be like, ah, quickly make it up mm-hmm. on the spot in the forums. But, um, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, people are, people know that they are playing, playing a game and, and they are comfortable with a certain level, but it is really difficult way to put that so like you're talking about mmos i play um final fantasy 14 which is really story driven to the point where it is basically a soap opera um, <laughs> where they where they do like a new episode every few months and it's like this kind of this kind of you know interplay between nations and warring countries and stuff and it's updated on a really regular but and, and i love it and i love it that it does that but at the same time the story of final fantasy 14 is that you are the warrior of light you are the super special warrior there are also two two million other <laughs> super special uh, warriors of light, and and there are the really awkward bits where the game goes. You need to meet. You need to make a party with seven other of those people, but we're also not going to mention that they are also <laughs> warriors of light. And, it, and it, it, like it is kind of awkward. But as a player, I am more than willing to just not care about that because I enjoy the experience so much, and I enjoy the characters, and I enjoy the kind of the political drama of what's going on and. And kind of following those threads. Those threads are far more important to me than, oh well, I can't play this because you know every, because it doesn't make sense. And there are people like that who do feel like that, and that's fine. They are perfectly entitled to feel like that. But um, again, it's like as a player, my I care far more about the experience than I do about worrying about whether it makes sense that I am doing all of these Brotherhood of Steel quests while my child is. Missing and I'm trying to find him. You know, like it, like I just don't. I don't know if I care that much, and I think a lot (laughs) of people. I think a lot of people are the same. That's not. That does also feel like I'm excusing it. Um, it is something that you always have to keep in mind, but you have to set the level, and you kind of do that as a team. Like, uh, I find, I find, it's depending on who the different designers are. Like, they have a different level that they're happy with, but you kind of set where that is, and then you just kind of. Mm. you just kind of go with that and go okay that's where we are we're going to do what we can in that
3: Yeah, I think one of the best pieces for me of um, storytelling in an MMO was was cataclysm mm. because uh, what a walk of cataclysm where they basically shook up the entire world and the result you could see the results of that everywhere you went um, and it was very clever in, in that it shook up the world usually in um old places that you wouldn't visit anymore because you're you're too high level a character and then new quests uh, emerged because of it I think it was basically the, uh, there was a, there was a dragon I think a dragon had kind of caused a lot of damage that's all I remember but I, I remember seeing it everywhere um and obviously all, all the little areas were going through their own difficulties because of what had happened and the chasms and so, you know some had divide pulled uh, areas apart or mm. flooded them and it was a very neat piece of environmental storytelling as well because it made you go back to those old areas you know I was going back to Oberdeen which I didn't think I'd on Darkshore which I didn't think I'd ever go back to again it's a very dull area and they made it much more interesting and I sort of went back and kind of had a poke around in it and you know I would go back to places just to see what had kind of happened to the world there. And I think when you can do a big piece of storytelling that feels like it's it's having a, a big effect on the world and they also introduced that is it phasing in, in that? Yes. So yes. so that you'd still be kind of experiencing the story that was right for you and your level and others in your party would be experiencing it in a different way.
2: Yeah, so you're all in the same you're all in the same environment but the the positioning of people or the positioning of buildings can change depending on where you are in the story and you're still sharing the space you're still sharing the space but you're seeing a view of what's appropriate for where you are in the story yeah that's that's that was huge i certainly um i cataclysm got me back into wow i'd lapsed for a while and i was desperate to see how everything had changed and i think the fact that i was desperate to see that is such Mm. a good such a good um indicator of how good blizzards world building was in that game in that um, I just wanted to know how everything that I knew was now different. Mm. Um, and, it, yeah, that's, that's so intriguing. That's really good.
3: I feel more kind of familiarity and sometimes more yearning for places in wow, that you know, <laughs> fictional places that I do from actual real places. Yeah. Like, you know, um, the sound of the the uh, the sails turning in Thunder Bluff and the squeaky lift going up the cliff. Um or, you know, I can still sort of remember what, you know, the Night Elf starting area or what Oberdeen was like or, um, you know, Stranglethorn Vale and, you know, desperately trying to get down to, I can't remember what the point is at the end when you're you're sort of fairly low level and there's loads of things that can kill you. Um, yeah, it, it, there was so much environmental storytelling, uh, you know, but Blizzard have... Yeah, they've done some great stuff in storytelling over the years. You know, I was talking about how, how much I enjoyed their cutscenes. They have a really good sense of, you know, cinematic experience and they bring that to the gameplay as well, and they bring that to the world their world design. I think that's you know, it's obviously what's what's made them so
1: popular. You know, we talked about the challenges that obviously we were talking about challenges that store of creating stories for games, but as you were talking about there, the world the stuff that you can do in games that you can't do in other mediums like we just talked about their World of Warcraft where you actually changed it. Uh, well, you? But it was. <laughs> I wish I, I. wish I could take credit for that. that would well, be B- Bioshock is my favourite example, although all games are that type do it. In that, um, every level had different stories in it. All those audiobooks told the stories of families in a world, and that was world building in a way you can't get in. You can get in books, but they wouldn't do it because it would slow it down to to. You could do it a little bit, and in films, they don't really happen. TV shows don't happen so much. You've got all these mini stories happening everywhere and not just in the actual audio logs that you pick up or anything like that but actually sometimes in the stuff written on the walls or the or the something you know a picture of a couple lying down the corner you know all that kind of stuff creates this world that you don't and that's the advantages I always think I've always felt with video games storytelling there's lots of disadvantages and lots of things that harm. Mm. there's lots of things that you can do there that are really hard in the other mediums it's not a question that should be valid. Yeah, it's it's
2: quite interesting. One of the questions that I had for you that I didn't ask because we ran out of time was, and I think this is this is really kidding me, It's like why why write for games? Like, like we know how difficult and restricting and it can be, but like, I guess this is me asking you because I've taken over the interview again. <laughs> um, but like, it was super interesting because I because I know what the I know what the benefits are as well, but. It is um, such a kind of such a different storytelling medium, and you think it wouldn't just be much easier to just do it to to just write a novel. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like why? Like, I, I'm I'm quite interested to know why. Like, why you why you kind of chose games as? I know you kind of said it kind of came about as an yeah, accident. yeah, it kind of
3: chose me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've been I've playing games for a long time, so they're always a big love of mine. Um, and I think when they're done, when it's done really well, games can deliver very powerful narrative experiences and journeys and, you know, as I said, I think we're only scratching the surface of what they can do and I, I really want to see them use more to, uh, as, you know, as an empathic medium, but, you know, take, uh, take on the fact that you're stepping into another character's shoes mm-hmm. and, and kind of run with that more and deliver more. Unique experiences that, that come through through character and, and interesting lives lived rather than the same kind of lives and the same kind of power fantasies and just sort of um, Which you know obviously are not that not the same across um, You know the AAA and indie space and I think what's coming out through indie is, is delivering on that more And I think AAA is sort of taking more of an influence from that um, but I think the Potential that games have to, to to allow us to connect more as as human beings and um, you know build empathy is is huge. You know, I, some of the feedback I had from male players on on Tomb Raider they said that that um, playing as Lara, the game put them in situations where they. Um, Lara, as a female character, was was feeling under threat by by male, uh, well, one particular male character, and they they realised what it must be like for women in the real world who kind of go through these things or have to, you know, navigate their way through this situation. But, and that was a feeling they and an understanding they could never really get in the or they would unlikely to get in the real world. But mm. here was it was a game giving them more understanding and empathy for for a situation that another human being could find themselves in, um, and I think. That, that was kind of amazing and we certainly had various stories from players that had taken a lot of um, strength um, from, from Laura's sort of courage in the game and giving them kind of courage and strength in the real world and that's just, you know, that's wonderful to see and that those are the sort of reasons you do it when it, when it enriches someone's life, when it, it, it benefits them and, you know, that, that we connect more as human beings. I think that's that's the sort of that's the big reason. Yeah, um, but also, yeah, I just really like
2: games. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think I think the empathetic angle is really important. Like, I think I'm one of those people who believes that the kind of the the on a, on a kind of slightly hippie level that the secret to the world being a better place is that we all need to be more empathetic about I everyone thought, else. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that empathy is one of the key things that we need to kind of get better as as a species, and I think games are super well poised to do that and this and I think that's one for me one of the interesting things with VR is that that also puts you in literally puts you yeah. in the eyes of someone else and I'm really I'm really intrigued about how that could develop and how that can um tell you about things tell, like because games shouldn't just be about things you already know or things that you find fun they should also I also think they should kind of challenge you a little bit and 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 kind of show you things that you don't know show you things in a new way and um, and like, to me that's one of the really important, really important things about this medium
1: You should force people to play games Because I was a judge on the BAFTAs this year And I played Life is Strange And so I, suddenly I was experiencing life And it's not my favourite game I didn't, It wasn't my favourite yeah. game But I was experiencing life as a teenage uh, American girl in, <laughs> um, at, at, a, at a college and apart from Mean Girls, not well, that I've ever watched Mean Girls, obviously. Um, but what do you I mean? Obviously, one. it's
3: one of the greatest films of yeah, all time. I've watched,
1: watched, watched it, loads of times. <laughs> 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 and, uh, aside from that, <laughs> ruin the joke. No, sorry. Like, life is strange um, for me. Put me in the shoes more than Mean Girls did. Yes. But, as in, because I I, I felt vulnerability in a way that I've obviously never experienced that. Um, and that is that, you was know, just agreeing with you.
2: Yeah, I think the, the thing that struck, the thing that really struck me about Life is Strange, and I absolutely loved it, but the one thing that struck me was that it had a tampon machine in it, and I was like, Do you know, I've played games for a long time, and I don't think I've ever seen a tampon yeah, machine yeah. in games before, and I was just like, like, which is surprising the amount of toilets in games. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right, and you'll, you'll find all kinds of medicine in there, yeah. or like in Max pain or whatever, and you'll find you'll find all sorts of things, all sorts of things in there, but you won't find tampons. And it was literally, I played it, and I was that was the thing that struck me. I was like. <laughs> Wow! Like I'm, I'm glad that was there. Like, yeah, like that feels like it shouldn't feel like a thing,
1: Where but it does also again, feel a bit. That's what I want to know. <laughs> what they going to do? <laughs> We're picking up on these
2: uh, powerful details. No one else mentions the tampon machine. Maybe I have a thing. Yeah. Maybe it's a. Maybe it's something I don't want to delve too far into. I was going to end on
0: VR
1: did you have any other questions for I, I think <laughs> we're ending on tampons <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask so VR you talked about how excited you are They put, put you in these shoes I was talking to Dave Ranyard who was telling me that um, from he's the PlayStation about how with VR he, he views the world of movies and video games now becoming if you made a movie in VR would you give people the opportunity to make decisions in that world are you a character in that world can you Change things, if you can change things, doesn't turn it immediately into a video game. And when does, and he honestly thinks that and you're going to start seeing more real life actors play things as a result, particularly with the challenges between VR, with the, um, the, the development challenges between making VR look very good. Uh, does that excite you? Is that something that you're interested in?
3: It amazes it, it me how close we're getting to, well, we're, we're edging closer to the uh, Ready Player One
1: mm-hmm.
3: scenario, which I'm, I'm listening to on audiobook at the moment, and one of the things that they have in that is. He goes into old movies and finds himself playing the lead actor in those, and that doesn't feel like too much of a fantasy no. anymore. Like, you know, he goes into war games and finds he's Ferris Bueller. I don't know whether you're familiar with Ready Player yeah, One, well, yeah. um, and like he he has to go through the game by remembering all the lines and and the kind of he gets extra points the intonation. You think, yeah, that that can really possibly be a thing, and, and maybe not too far off but I think it's more more likely that they're going to be creating movies around that rather than using old movies. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've not um, done anything in VR as yet, but I do think it's really interesting. It has a lot of storytelling potential. And I think we are going to have to adapt the way we do tell stories because of how it captures performance and that you're going to be picking up on things like body language and the things that you do when speaking to people in, in real life that you're not... Necessarily factoring into um, a, you know a game a game script a regular kind of game script, uh, but you will be picking up on things like um, facial and body language in, in yeah. a way that you, you don't at the moment, and so that's sort of cha- going to change how kind of writers write and how we work with actors as well. And I think the the uh, you know potential for capturing performance in, in VR is is going to be amazing. So I think we're going to see a new rise of um, great
0: acting talent coming out of video games, definitely. Well, even outside of VR, like the, the, the advances in motion capture and, f- and facial performance capture have been incredible. We, mm. uh, we, we've gone, and, and like you say, lend a lot more kind of subtlety and, and nuance to stuff. But we, you know, we've gone from LA Noir's over exaggerated, I might be lying <laughs> kind of faces <laughs> to you know, some just genuinely brilliant performances yeah. by, albeit by, yeah, you know, like many by established actors. You you know, got Kevin Spacey in um, that Call of Duty game. And the entire cast of Quantum Break, like it's all coming across like a lot more realistic, and it and it does, it really sells the story. Like Quantum Break, I, I absolutely ad- adored it. You know, it's not doing anything groundbreaking, but it was a really good action sci-fi mm. romp, worthy of the sort of stuff you'd, you'd see in film. And it was just, it was, it came across really well. And we've we've gone beyond that jilted, you know, awkward, slight two minute, you know, too long mm, a pause mm, between mm. people talking. Stop staggering, please. <laughs> I think
2: it's quite like if you I mean if you remember when you first played Half-Life 2 and Alex first looked at you and made eye contact with you like mm-hmm. to me that was kind of a moment that was a bit like I I'm actually in this world like and the, the you know the animation has evolved to a point where it's not just somebody who looks like they're looking in your direction they kind of look like they're looking at you and you are physical you are a presence mm-hmm. in this and I kind of it's kind of quite interesting the idea of first person narrative and like, some people have taken that on since Half-Life 2, but a lot of people haven't. And I think what's going to be interesting in VR is that that's going to have to be much more of a focus. Like, if you are there, it's not just about what everyone else does, it's what about they do in relation to you. Like, yeah. like how they look at you and how, like you say, the body language and things like that, that's going to make such a huge, that's going to be such a bigger part of it. I think it's going to go from something that some people wanted to challenge to being something that everybody really has to challenge in order to make present make you feel like you're present and that's the whole point of VR right is that you are in the world and so it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops how that develops in terms of facial capture and, and acting and also in terms of AI like how that comes into things how that blends with what you do because again you can't predict what the player's going to do it's going to be it's going to be a it's going to be another set of challenges but one of the things i quite like about game writing is that Game writing is so young that I think everybody is really used to new challenges. Like, mm. like I certainly found I've certainly found among certain, you know, certain among designers, you find that, that if they come to do like a free to play game, they're like, oh, "I don't want to do free to play; it's not a new thing." Whereas I've certainly seen a lot of writers really embrace free to play and be like, "Be like, okay, it's a new medium; it's a new new way of telling it, but I'm going to do it anyway." And I think that's because we're still trying to work out ev- everything anyway. Like it's still so young that just that there being another avenue that can really push things in another direction is just super exciting.
0: Wow. Okay, and thank you both so much for joining us. Um I said it's a busy time down here at Developer Brighton, so thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you, you for having us. all our episodes on iOS and Android various uh, podcasting apps such as Overcast, Stitcher, Player FM, Pocket Casts. Uh, We are online at mcvuk.com and developer-online.net for all your games industry trade news and we're on Twitter and I'm going to get it right this time (laughs) at developonline and at mcv-online.